Welcome to the Global Missions Inc. podcast. This week's episode features Kelvin Martin. My message today is be aware. And I think that we need to be aware in the days that we live in. But sometimes when we talk about the days we live in, we already have things contrived in our mind as to how things are. And nobody's ever seen the sorrows I've seen. Nobody's ever known my sorrow, right? We live in a world where nobody's going to really understand what I'm going through. Have we all said that? i said it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a little history. And this is going to start, and I'm going to talk about the era between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. It's about 400 years. This is after the temple had been rebuilt in Ezra and Nehemiah. And the last of the prophets were, you know, were, for lack of a better word, God ceased that purpose in prophets. And there was this time in between where Israel, the Jews, whatever, uh, they, the God's chosen people evolved between there and the birth of Christ. Probably not, a, don't take this as a history lesson with detail. This is going to be very high level just to give you a feel. person we're going to talk about first is Alexander the Great. Everybody know Alexander the Great? He was a mighty conqueror from a Greek nation. And Greek was, as, uh, certainly for us in democracies, is sort of the founding place of democracy and discussion and philosophy and all these things that man has built upon, built upon for centuries and centuries. Alexander studied under Aristotle, and he was so in love with the culture of Greece, which is some, which is called Hellenism, from a word called Hell, which was a word for Greek, Greece in Greek. So that's why you see here the term Hellenism, that he wanted to spread Hellenism throughout the world that he knew, and he went out with his with his generals and his, his armies, and he began to conquer the known world, and he was. If you ever see a map, I mean, I could have put a PowerPoint together, but that's not important. He conquered lands all the way from the Black Sea and Greece and Macedonia down to Egypt, all the way to the edges of India. That's a pretty expansive empire for his era. He died at the age of 31, and, uh, and that was about 232 B.C., and that's one of the days in history that, you know, if you're, if you're a history buff, that's a day you probably will have memorized because it sort of marks this part where the world changed because of a man's desire to spread his thoughts and his culture to all that would hear him. Okay, so Judea was one of the areas that he conquered, just, north of, just uh, east and north of Egypt. But he died at such a young age that he had to turn his empire over to somebody. So he turned it over to his four generals. The names are irrelevant, but one of his generals, Ptolemy, he was left in, he was given the land of Judah plus others that as his part of his empire. It was split into four portions. Of course, as 
and power tend to do that. His fellow general, Seleucid, he was given uh, Persia. Well, it wasn't enough just to have Persia. Ptolemy guy's pretty weak. So he came down and he conquered uh, Ptolemy. And he comes with hit with his successors. And those successors had the same objective as uh, Alexander the Great. Hellenism is the best thing that there ever was. Okay? So now that we've got Judea covered by Hellenism, one of his uh, successors decided he was going to inflict Hellenism without any debate on those in Judea. So, he began this process of edicting um, Hellenism on those, and we're going to speak specifically of God's people, the Jews. And if you didn't conform, there was dire circumstances for you, up to death. Certainly captivity and up to death. So, we now got this historical environment where the, the Jews are now being ruled by Hellenism. It's the culture of their land. And then they, they're going to do the, finish this part of history and go back to the Jews. Then the next thing that comes in is there's a huge fight, and you've all heard of the Maccabeans, I'm assuming. Maccabeans stood up against them, and stood against Hellenism. And then, after the Maccabeans, they, they reestablished temple worship, etc., etc., and uh, then that was replaced by Herod, and ultimately Rome came in. One of the interesting things about Rome was I think that we understand Rome to be such a great empire. Guess who the Romans worshipped? The Greek culture. That's what they did. So if you go to anywhere in Rome, you will see that the architecture was similar. As a matter of fact, if you studied mythology, as we all probably did in English, is the the Roman gods, they changed the name, but they basically just adopted the Greek gods. I just want you to know the influence that culture can have. Now, in that same 400 years of history, that we've just sort of done it from the world perspective, from the Jews' perspective, things went into chaos because there was no prophets left in the land. The temple was rebuilt, but it had already fallen under these other cultures. So what happened is that they began to develop what they, what they, they, their own governance. Remember in the Old Testament how they were led by God and then eventually said, "Give us a king like other nations." That's what sort of was happening in this period as well. Well, we have nobody to lead us, so we got to make a leadership, and that leadership ended up being the Sanhedrin. And you guys all have read about the Sanhedrin. It was a body. It was essentially their Supreme Court or their Supreme Justice was made up between 23 and 79, I believe, members, primarily of Sadducees and Pharisees. And what they would do is they would make rulings both on civil and religious doctrine. Civil laws, religious laws. Because remember, we're still under the law because Christ hadn't come yet. Okay. I'd like to talk a little bit about those two groups the Sadducees and the Pharisees, because they were significant in the New Testament, we all know, certainly in the Gospels. The Sanhedrin was the Supreme Court or Council 
a tribunal in Judea. Um, this body was to interpret both civil and religious laws. No doubt the Romans' oversight were influenced and exercised within this institution, at least as far as civil laws were concerned. However, the Romans were less interested in religious laws. The Sanhedrin was largely comprised of Sadducees because of their wealth. So who are the Sadducees? Well, they were an aristocratic class. They were upper class. Uh, they, were, they were considered elite and corrupt and were very unpopular with the common Jewish people. They were absorbed or immersed in or engrossed in Hellenism. So this led to them being culturally liberal, but they were religiously conservative. They were strict and they were interpreted the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, interpret, interpret, and interpretations of the Torah, they were very strict. The Torah was the only acceptable um, truth to the Sadducees. So therefore, all of their judgments were based on if it was in the Torah, it could be proven right or wrong. If it wasn't in the Torah, then they didn't believe in it at all. Okay, in AD 70, there was a Jewish revolt in Rome. The temple was destroyed, as you probably all know from your history classes. And as the temple was destroyed, this, the influence of the Sadducees weakened. I told you it was a history lesson, so don't, don't get wrapped up in theology at this point. The other body that I'd like to talk about are the Pharisees. We're very familiar with the Pharisees. Paul was a Pharisee. We all know that. Nicodemus was also a Pharisee. Pharisees were the common man's leader, essentially. That's who they looked up to, was the Pharisees. In contrast to the Sadducees, the Pharisees were staunchly opposed to Hellenism. So you can see that they were fighting between Sadducees and Pharisees amongst themselves, but somehow they could sometimes get together when they needed to. We'll talk about that a little bit later. They worshipped in synagogues as opposed to the temple. They, their, their, their scriptural basis was based on the Septuagint, and this is a Greek Bible from the early centuries of history of that part of the time of history. And theologically, the Pharisees believed in spirits, angels, and resurrection, and the coming Messiah and His kingdom because it was in the Septuagint. Okay, because it was similar to our Bible today. A couple of different chapters or a couple of different books, but similarly same. The vigor and passion with which they taught their fellow Jews the precepts of the word of God in their synagogues earned them the respect and admiration of their fellow Jews. Their theology was based on an oral history law. I found this fascinating during this study. Is They had the talk, but when circumstances came along that were different, so, well, the, the law says this, but this circumstance just doesn't quite fit this law. Then what they had is, they call them sages or whatever, uh, rabbinic history. These rabbis, or these historical sages or rabbis, they would make an interpretation. And those interpretations, over time, built a body of law that extended from the law that they were using from the scriptures. And so they based most of their decisions on this 
oral history law, as well as the Septuagint. The important thing to understand, that's quickly just the, the groups that we're dealing with, neither the Pharisees nor the Sadducees were priests. God had spent two millennia laying out a pattern for his chosen people. And in 400 years, they had completely constructed governance according to their own thinking. Jesus had numerous interactions with both the Sadducees and Pharisees. And in most, and, and in most the focus was on the disparity between the Pharisees' oral history law and God's word. Now, I'm going to do a lot of scriptures today. I have made up a little book, Mark or whatever. I'll lay them up at the front. I do have all the scriptures I'm going to reference today, so you probably couldn't write them as quick as I can. But I'm going to bring them out here, so you have that at your access if you need to. Matthew 15, 1-9. Then came Jesus' scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered, Christ answered, and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandments of God? Notice the words he used. By your traditions. For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that and he that curses father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, the Pharisees say, however shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift. By whatsoever by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father and mother, he shall be free. What they did is they created a loophole. We all know what loopholes are, we all pay taxes. There's loopholes. And the Pharisees created loopholes of which Christ just called them on, essentially. So your traditions and your oral history says, well, because of all of these circumstances, you sort of melded the word of God to this conclusion. And he says, and what you've done is you've made the word of God irrelevant. Ye hypocrites, well did Esaias, which is Isaiah, prophesy of you, saying, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That's where this whole message started, was on that scripture. The, uh, the, uh, point, the reference in Isaiah that was mentioned there was Isaiah 29, 9-16, specifically verse 13. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. Mark reiterates the similar account. It's in Mark 7, 5-13, but I'm going to read only two verses, 6-8. to He, Jesus, answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 
Albeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, for laying aside the commandment of God to hold the traditions of men. As of washing of pots and cups and many other such things you do. Jesus denounces the Pharisees numerous times in the scriptures and in other in this scripture and in others as hypocrites who bind heavy burdens on the people through their interpretation of the law. Use their self-proclaimed position of authority to get the best places at feasts, so they have the best seats in the synagogues, took advantage of widows for their own financial gain, and paid inordinate attention to the minutiae of the law and its interpretations which neglected proper justice, mercy, faith, and love. Brother Merv Sunbow ministered at North Battleford Camp, and I had to write it down right in my notes then, Micah 6 and 8. He that showeth thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before the Lord. Amen. Matthew 13, 1-39, I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to read a little bit at the beginning, verses 1-11. to Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. I had to do a little research on what that might have meant. I'm not even saying I fully understand it, because I probably don't. But the one that sat with me comfortably in my heart was as the Pharisees had decided to usurp the authority of Moses. That's what they meant by sitting in Moses' seat. They ejected Moses, and they said, Well, we're going to sit there, and this is... This is the new way it's going to happen. And therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, observe and do. Now that was a little confusing to me at first. The Pharisees are teaching all this stuff. And he says, be careful, the law is the law. Even though it it might not quite sit with you right, but make sure you do the law. But here here was what he warned them about. What he warned them about But do not after their works. For they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen of men, they may broaden their... If I mispronounce this, please forgive me and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms of feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and to be called men and be called of men Rabbi, Rabbi but be ye not called Rabbi for one is your master even Christ and all ye are brethren and call no man your father upon the earth for one is your father which is in heaven Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ, for he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. So I hope that you sort of got this environment, is that the governance that's taking place is binding the people in Israel. The Jews are being put into bondage by their own governance. And Christ has called them out. And there's lots more. I can't, just from a time perspective, we just can't go into them all. 
He's called them out. And he's warning the people to beware of the Pharisees. And I'd like to extend that based on the very first scripture. Beware the commandments of men's minds. So, that was all before the Holy Spirit was given. That was the, that was the governance and Jesus was still walking the earth. And uh, so I said, okay, well that's wonderful. Jesus sort of recognized it. And then I started looking through the post-Acts 2 era and the authors who wrote their epistles after that. And there are numerous of them. Paul speaks to the Corinthians. Now he'd been to Corinth before. He administered them personally. But he felt led to to write them letters, you know, First and Second Corinthians. And I'm going to read a portion out of 1 Corinthians 2, 4 to, 4 to 16, but in two parts. He wrote this letter to, to warn them of the perils of placing their faith in the wisdom contrived by the wisdom of men. And you'll hear those words used by Paul. Starting in verse 4. In my speech, in my preaching, Paul, was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. How important is it to be led by the Spirit? That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the princes that the but in the uh, but in the princes of the world that, that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery even hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen or ear heard, neither have entered the heart of man the things which God hath prepared, has prepared for those that love him. So we, we love him, we don't seek to get the acceptance of man. That's that reference that was referenced there by Paul is Isaiah 64 and 4. I'm not going to read it. Continuing in verse 10, but God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, and deep things of God. For what man knoweth, for what man knoweth the things of man save the Spirit of the man? which is in him. Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. He's drawn a delinear line between the two. And I think we've been taught that clearly for quite some time. You know, we have man that's in us that's part of our struggle, and we have the, we have the Spirit of the Lord, a person who resides in us equally. And we have, you know, so those both are in there, and that's what these pictures are going to talk about in about a minute and a half here. From what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man, which is in him. So, even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we may know the things which are freely given to us of God. And that sort of comes back to faith. We know it. So therefore our faith should be in. These are what God's promises, so therefore his faith in. Anyways. 
Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man receiveth not these things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man, for who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul is clearly identified here a wisdom and a spirit of the world. It exists. It is a reality. And now he and how it conflict conflicts with and is contrary to the power and wisdom of God and his spirit. Jesus had warned of the deception and seduction of the spirit of the of the world and the spirit of man that approaches the door of the very elect to devour. However, darkness and death cannot destroy them because of the protecting protection and the shed blood of Christ our Redeemer. For Matthew 24 and 24, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and they shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall be deceived they shall deceive the very elect. Mark 13, 22, For false Christs and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. Yeah. I always misinterpreted that if it were possible. You know, I, I thought of it, well, you know, but it is impossible for those that are elect and called of him. It's not like we're sort of sitting on the edge. We can be. But it's not like we're sitting on the edge and we might fall over the cliff if we stand on the fact that we are elect and called of Him. Then there is that protection. Just like the blood on the, on the post and the, and the door at the time of the angel of death. I have many more references and you can read them off the list. Uh... Paul sent another warning to Corinth along the same lines. Uh, Titus, when he teaches about the role of eldership, whether it be in the home, or in the local church, or in the corporate church, Titus says, holding fast the faithful word, as he, oh this is Titus 1, 9-16, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. The he's there he's talking about are the elders. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, specific, especially they, uh, especially they of the circumcision. And that one surprised me a little bit. Without getting into it too far, he was warning them against themselves. Because they were Jews that he was talking to. Now he was also talking to the Gentile, but but, you know, the problem is, is that you've got to be careful, even those who are circumcised. Because now you're sort of going down the Pharisee line with your head. Yeah. Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies, 
This witness is true. So there are evil people. And you've got to call them out, just like Jesus did. Oh, wherefore rebuke them sharply, that they may, that they may be sound in faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn them from the truth. That's a warning to elders. So when you're set into when set into office, that's the warning we go in with. So what's that tell me? That we are susceptible to the, to the commandments of men, the wisdom of men, or the wisdom of the spirit of the world. Right. I'm going to come to my pictures. All of that is just sort of context at this point. If the black arrows represent inputs and outputs of the wisdom of men, spirit of the world, our own thoughts, you can put any one of those definitions. The world lives in this environment. And if we're not careful, so do we. Warning, be aware. What I like to think is, we begin our spiritual walk where this little bit of light gets into us. And yeah, the world still throws stuff in, and yeah, we still have bitterness in our heart, and we spew it out. And we might even spew it out in all directions. But as we mature, what does God expect of us? If the light's coming in, we need some light to go out. Amen. I'll tell you, this was not my mind until the prophecies this morning. And this just popped into my head. Not the art, the thought. <laughs> The light, the light starts to go out. This influence of the world still exists. We're in the world, but we're not of the world, right? And as we mature, we hope we get to this point. That we reject those things, we rebuke it, we, we walk away from it. It, it. it continually bombards us, but the light that comes in is the only thing that we emit out. Take not the doctrines, take out your doctrines from the commandments of men. I cannot say it any clearer than Jesus said it. Because we are all influenced. I have said things against brothers. We've all had to ask for apologies for things that we've done. Because all of a sudden, we fall back into some sort of trap here. That little bit of us wants to shine, wants to shine out and it's not the, it's not the Spirit of God at all. So we have to be careful. And there's warning after warning. And like I said, when you go through the list, if you choose to, uh, you will find many warnings. Titus, John has a couple along the exact same lines, teaching that, you know, we are influenced by man. Man will do everything in his power. Where do you think evil comes from? It comes from man. Because that's the vehicle both light and darkness use. Now, there might be slightly exceptions to that, and I believe that that's true. But by and large, if someone doesn't see the light, they're probably emitting darkness. When someone tells you, well, I live a good, a good life, I don't need God, that's the wisdom of man. I hope I'm not offending anybody today, but this is the warning that the Scriptures teach us about and yet, I think we've all fallen trapped to it. Yeah. 
And we, as brethren, and as Brother Admonish used this morning, we have got to learn to recognize the Spirit because that's the light that's within us. And I know that Brother Marcus taught a few years ago, a couple years ago, is that we have to have him grow and us shrink. And what if we're going to be like Christ, then I want to be able to say, and I want each one of you to be able to say, that I say nothing and I do nothing but what my Father's will tells me to do. Everything else is us submitting to the commandments of men, the customs of men, the traditions of men, the weaknesses of man. And we are men and women. Please don't take the masculine versus the feminine there the wrong way. But that's what we are. And we have prophecy after prophecy after prophecy more saying, I will give you light. You shine your light. Don't spread the traditions of men. I believe we can all agree that we have been adequately warned. There's scripture after scripture after scripture. I'm going to conclude with the following scriptures with minimal commentary as to not interject my thoughts and, and subject you to any possibility of the thoughts of a man. This is strictly scripture. For the fruit of the Spirit, or the works of the Spirit, or the accomplishment of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such there is no law. John 5 and 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. Matthew 11 and 30. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, what is the great commandment of the law? You should all be able to quote this with me. Jesus said, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy might, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, on these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. There is nothing there about tradition. What well, I said, I wasn't going to say anything, sorry. Ephesians 4, 14 to 15. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried away with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, wherein they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. 1 Corinthians 7.23 Ye were bought with a price. Be ye not servants of men. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 13 For this cause also thank we, thank we, we be Paul and Apollos here, and the apostles, sorry, that for this cause we thank also thank we God without ceasing because when ye received the word of God that you heard from us ye received it not as the word of men 
but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Uh, Romans 6 and 19, Paul speaks. He says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmities of your flesh. But as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanliness and to iniquity, and, un, in, and unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. 1 Timothy 6 and 5. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Colossians 2 and 8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Beware. 1 Corinthians 2 and 5. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Matthew 5 and 14. This was written months ago, just to let you know. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Ephesians 5 and 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light of the world. Walk as children of light. Romans 12 and 7. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. That's tough. Matthew 5 and 39. But Jesus, but I, Jesus, I being Jesus, say unto you that you resist, resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, punch him in the nose. <laughs> Turn to him the other also. Matthew 5, 21-22. When Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often should my brother, my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but unto seventy times seven. Romans 14 and 18. For he that is in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. 2 Corinthians 3 and 2. Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. And 2 Corinthians 8.21 Providing for honest things not only in the sight of the Lord but also in the sight of men. Those scriptures speak against this influencing us but us influencing them. And if you walk in that way, you will be a testament, and as one of those scriptures says, to all men. And you know what? You're going to get some flack. And how many times are you going to forgive them? Seventy times seven. And I'm sure if, 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 
if they were being mathematically 70 times 7 times 70 times 7, you know, it doesn't matter. Because we are the light of the world. The world will not see it except through his sons and his daughters. If we keep reverting back to man's traditions of defending ourselves or, or being comfortable within the traditions of men, we will be accepted of men. But that's, there's another scripture, and I must have been, it just hit my mind, I don't think I could come up with the reference quick enough, is that, you know, if you're in the world, you know, men are in the world, but you're not of the world. And if you're not of the world, then you're of the kingdom. And if the kingdom is to draw all men unto him, Christ, the head, these black arrows can't exist in our lives. They will. We will fail. Somebody's going to pull up. I told you about my road rage and I thought I'd conquered some of it, but in myself I cannot conquer that. That's my wife. She'll tell you. Someone pulls up in front of you, you're going to just say, that's stupid. That's this. Not that. Thank heavens they can't hear me. But my wife can. My wife can. Take not for doctrines the commandments of men. We have been given truth through Christ and through His Word we must walk in that. Amen. That's the doctrine by which we... And I know, that, I know that we don't know it all. We sort of can't get to the point, well, this is our pocket of doctrine, this is what we're going to walk in. It's all true. Well, the whole thing is, when, Jesus, when God said, get you away from this mountain, you've been here long enough, move on, there's a promise ahead. We can't be happy in the truth that we were given around the mountain. And what's kind of fun to me, and this is, brother can correct me on this, but I have a lot of, I have a lot of fun doing things outside the norm. Really? People don't believe that, right? <laughs> they were in Egypt 400 years, right? Give or take. 400 years. They were in the world. And God delivered them from it. The, the time frame between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament was 400 years, give or take. And that's when He brought the deliverer. In the, in the real sense, not in the type sense. We walk with Him. He is our head. We, uh, we abide in Him. The vine. I could, you know, you could all quote me ten scriptures each if I went around the room about that. That is where the light comes from. And that's where we must emit those truths by our walk, by our very nature. There's one, maybe I'm, I'm going to go back. There was a one scripture in John John 12, 34 to 43. I'm not going to read it. I will paraphrase it. Christ had just, uh, had just told us, the, the people, that he wasn't going to pass away. 
And the people answered him and said, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So he'd done all these miracles, and you know, his whole life had been a testament for those three years. And here's where we can fall trap to what I think is our is our human weakness. Is that out of all of these miracles and all of this testimony and all of this teaching that Christ had, and he had taught it throughout the land, right? But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not in him. That the saying of Elijah the prophet might be fulfilled, that he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? To whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could, they could not believe, because Elias saith again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be, convict, be converted and, should, and God should heal them. These things Elias said, this said Elias when he saw his glory and spake of him. Nevertheless, this is how strong the power of God really is. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, many believed. But, I always love the word but in the scriptures. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Be careful. Be aware. Be aware. We can hear all the good news, as they say, and all of a sudden the traditions of men seem to be painting us into a corner. And I always like uh, the book of Acts when you hear some of the Acts, but Paul was thrown into prison and one time he was set free, right? And he went and he testified of the deliverance to the people, the people that he ministered to. The other time he was put into prison, the one I'm going to reference anyway, once again, the doors were open, but he didn't go anywhere. God had called him to minister to the guard. Just like Moses, when he spoke, to the, when, he, when he hit the rock, water came from it. But the next time God said, speak to the rock. Traditions of men. What do you do? I hit it last time. If I hit it again, God was faithful to them, to him because of the promise that he had given to the children of Israel. But that wasn't what God wanted under those circumstances. Do not fall trapped to the traditions of men. We have to know the difference. And the only way we're going to know the difference is by the Spirit. And more and more and more and more of these will emit from you and I. Because God has promised there will be a people who will enter in. I, there, this thing on promises has been on my heart ever since before Stronghold. And they are for sure. They're already done. In God's mind, those promises are already fulfilled. He is leading His people to fulfill them because they've already been filled in His promise, just like the children of Israel, generation after generation after generation. But they entered in because that promise 
was a covenant between him and Abraham, generations later. For, those, for there to be those who will dwell in the kingdom of God in subjection to their head Christ, they will exist. They will not be those who continually look for the praise of men or wish to follow after the wisdom of man or the wisdom of the powers of the earth. Beware. Be aware. God bless you. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.